will give us um, everything we've been looking for because you are worthy, you are all-sustaining, you are sovereign. We praise you and we thank you for being the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus. We thank you that here on earth we really can see the kingdom come as it is in heaven. So, Father, reveal this truth through uh, the faithful preaching of your word. And, Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of our hearts. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, my name is Kevin Stout. I'm the youth and college pastor here at Living Hope. Wasn't that an incredible worship set? Man, I'm so thankful for our worship team, uh, especially for the fact that they played Holy Water. Uh, that, that's a personal favorite of mine. But before I get going, I want to share with you something that's coming up on August 1st. That's a Saturday, and it is for the little guys. It's for the journey kids in the kids ministry here at Living Hope. So there, watch this quick video about Kid Fest, which is a one-day event coming up on August 1st. Hello, Living Hope kids. Hello, Living Hope kids. Hi, boys and girls. Hey, Living Hope kids. Let's get ready for some fun under the sun. We are so excited to see you on August the 1st at Living Hope Church. We're going to have some delicious tropical treats, special crafts, and deep-sea science experiments. Where we will have Kid Fest 2020. It will be a one-day, all-day event. We will learn about the one and only true God. The one true God. The one true God. So grab your compass and flip-flops. This event will happen August the 1st. Can't wait to see you all there. Have a blessed day. Well, y'all, if Emma was old enough, she would be there. And I highly encourage you, if you have children in that age bracket, to bring them that day to learn about the one true God. The same way, on next Saturday, uh, July 25th, the youth ministry, those for, in middle school and high school, we're going to spend uh, the day here looking at the life of David, the comeback kid, and encouraging our students to really sell out regardless of the decisions that they've made in the past. So this week we are continuing. I'm going to move this so I don't knock it over and scare everybody um, or myself. But uh, this week we're continuing our study of Romans chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. We are going to be all over the scripture today. Um, and I'm going to speak really, really fast. I'm sorry, but there's just a lot I've got to say. But I want to encourage you that the same motto that David mentioned last week is really the motto for Romans 14, and it's one of the mottos here at Living Hope Church. It was coined by Saint Francis himself. He says that we should have, as Christians, we should have unity in the essentials, we should have diversity in the non-essentials, and we should have love in all things. And that is so important. And I'm so thankful for a body of believers that's called Living Hope Church that has worked for six years to see that statement come to life. We are one of the most diverse churches that I've ever been to in my life. And praise be to God, we've got a long way to go, but he's going to get us there. Uh, and so I want to encourage you, though, that essentials of the faith are just that. They're essentials. If you believe in anything other than salvation alone, through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, we're not in the same sandbox. You're playing somewhere else. We're, we're not on the same team. If you preach anything other than that, we cannot be united. Let me be clear about that. But if we are unified in the essentials, we can be diversified in the non-essentials. Political status whether you believe in prayer language, whether you're an Arminianist, a Calvinist, 
of pre-tribulation or post-tribulation or any of these other things. We can be unified as a kingdom of God together. And, and I think sometimes it's, it's confusing when people use the kingdom of God, that term, because it's a little hard to understand what is the kingdom of God. So I found a really great eight-word definition um, by this guy named Jeremy Treat. He's an uh, author who writes blogs for uh, the Gospel Coalition. He says that the kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. So he says the kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. And we could spend several weeks just on the topic of the kingdom of God, but that's not where scripture has us going today. And so today scripture has us focusing on whether or not we should cause someone to stumble. And that is really important because for far too long, we have focused on the non-essentials We've tried to force them and our personal convictions to become essentials, and we've divided the kingdom of God. Why do you think we have so many denominations in the world today? I tried to look up the number, and the lowest number I found was 1,400 in the U.S. I found a bunch of different numbers, so I didn't want to say a specific one, but the lowest one was 1,400. And so today, we are focusing on what does it mean to have diversity in the non-essentials. And I want to encourage you that instead of thinking of the word non-essentials, I want you to think of the word Christian liberties. A Christian liberty is anything that is not clearly prohibited by Scripture in which it is our choice whether or not to partake of it. And so, Matea is going to come up, and we're going to give a great example of how a non-essential can become a stumbling block in division within the church. Does everybody know what this is? Can you see it on the camera? This is a Popeye's, wrap, uh, Popeyes bag. Okay, so this is Popeye's. Matea, what do you have? Y'all know where this is from? Chick-fil-A. Okay, so that should be an indicator there. The Chick-fil-A, the Lord's chicken, is important. Okay, so we're going to play out a little example of how this can go south really quick. Imagine we're, I don't know, at the park after church. Hey, Matea, what, your, what are you eating for lunch there? Oh, I got Chick-fil-A. I see you got Popeye's. Yeah, I got that spicy chicken. You sure they didn't mess up your order? No, but oh. it doesn't matter because it's all good except for the sides. Oh, really? They messed up your sides? They messed. You know, if Chick-fil-A okay. messes up my order... I know they know what's good for me. I don't even complain. You hey, they got, they got the right sandwich. That's all that matters. And at least you can taste the spice in the spicy chicken sandwich. You can't even taste anything but like, I don't know, sawdust and paper. <gasps> but this is the original chicken sandwich. But Did this is me? the chicken sandwich 2.0, the better version. <gasps> no. Yes. Mm-mm. Yes, totally. The batter is wonderful. But let's talk about the customer service, because last time I was at Popeye's, I was sitting in my hot car. I thought they were going to cook me. I hear this all the time. But guess what? You had to buy that yesterday so you could eat it today. At least I bought this fresh 10 minutes ago. We're closed on Sundays to pray for people like you. Excuse me? Are you serious? See, 2020 was already bad, but it went south when they came out with that sandwich. I I can't even. We're done. Okay, thanks, Matea. So it was a funny example But there are real examples of non-essentials that literally divide people. And guys, it is heartbreaking. 
It should not be so. The people of God should not be a divided people. How many of you know non-believers who will say, Christians don't even like one another. Why would I want to be a part of that family? Or Christians can't even love one another. Why would I want to be a part of that family? Guys, we've got to stop creating stumbling blocks for a non-believing world because they're never going to see Jesus through our actions in our lives if we keep fighting. And so I want to encourage you that the statement I'm about to make is really, really strong. But it's, it's biblically, biblically accurate. When Christians abuse, the, abuse liberties, the kingdom of God is driven apart, people are hurt, and the enemy is given a small victory. So if you can put that next slide up. So does it, can anybody in the, see what this is? This is a claymore. If the ATF is watching, it's a practice-only device. It's all plastic. There's no explosives. You can't get hurt. I promise. But when we focus on making Christian liberties the most important thing, we walk around planting claymores all around in life. And much like Wiley Coyote, we set the trap for the roadrunner, and then we walk in front of the trap ourselves and damage our own selves, or we hurt one another. And so I want to encourage you. I was hoping this would scare some of you. It didn't. I thought about bringing in something else, but my wife told me no. You know, it's funny how the Holy Spirit often sounds like your wife once you get married. Um, which, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. Congrats to Brandon and Annie Reed. They got married this weekend. Woohoo! That's so exciting. That, is, that makes three marriages, y'all, that uh, have the covenant marriages that have taken place. Uh, over the corona crisis. At the same time, Aaron, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention you and Liz too. Aaron and Liz Payne uh, welcomed Tirza Payne into the world yesterday. And so she she is here and uh, we can't wait to meet Tirza, you know, once the safety things are taken care of. But Aaron's gone. And so I want y'all all to, to wish both of those couples uh, just a great time and celebration. But what I want to encourage you is that the non-essentials that I think about that have divided the kingdom, I'm going to start kind of funny, and then we're going to progress to a little bit more serious. Sports teams. How many of you have ever been in Alabama when Auburn and Alabama play one another? I have, and it was really scary. How many of you have been to a Living Hope service when Living Hope plays Florida and Stacey Fleming was in the church? Is that too close for comfort? Is that too much? How many of us, whether we are divided over music style or movie choice or the TV shows we watch or our geographical location, oh man, those Yankees, gosh, those Southerners are so dumb, whatever it is. What about alcohol, smoking, tattoos, politics, food choice, parenting style, the use of a prayer language? Whether some of the minor differences among theology are important to you, whether you're a Arminian, a Calvinist, free will, predestination, premillennialist, postmillennialist, amillennialist, whether you don't even know what those mean, it's okay to not know that. I would encourage you to study it though. But I want to encourage you that whenever we make a non essential an essential, we focus on our personal convictions and we try to project our personal convictions on other people. We go about pulling pins and grenades, throwing them, setting landmines, cutting one another, hurting one another, harming one another, and we should not be doing that. And I put a post up yesterday that I wasn't going to read the whole, um, the whole passage here 
uh, in Romans 14, verses 13 through 23, because honestly, it took me three and a half minutes, and I need that time. And so uh, we're going to get into it in a second. But I want to encourage you that you may be asking, okay, Kevin, at what point does my need to serve somebody else stop? That's a good question, right? Like, I love my Jeep. Many of you know that. I love my Jeep. But there's a reason why it's, it's taken four years. It's because the Holy Spirit has told me, stop focusing on your own stuff. Serve somebody else. Serve your wife. Serve your daughter. Serve the church. Serve your neighbor. And we've got to be keen to listen to that because in, what we should do is look to Christ's example for where the service stops. Does anybody know where the service stops according to Jesus? When we can stop serving one another? Somebody said something. Death. Correct. Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Let us run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, our perfecter of the faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the hand of the throne of God today. And so I want to encourage you that the point in which we have to put aside our own preferences and we have to serve one another in order to unify the kingdom of God doesn't stop until we reach full glorification. Because that's actually when all selfish desire will go away, theologically speaking. And so Jesus himself even applied that to us in John chapter 15. He, Jesus, jukes some folks when he said, For greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his brother. You see, before we do anything regarding a Christian liberty, whether you believe it's a liberty and you're free to do it, or whether you're personally convicted that you should never touch it, or you're somewhere in the middle, you should think about what is the most loving thing I can do for someone else. What is the most loving thing I can do for that non-believer? What is the most loving thing I can do for that believer? And I want to read real quick, 1 Corinthians, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says that love is patient and kind, Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never ends. And so now we're going to transition, after, with all that preface, we're going to transition into what Christian liberty should not cause in someone else's life. The first thing that our liberties should not cause in someone else's life is that we should not cause someone to stumble. And you're like, oh, you mean like literally trip them? And so I thought that's what it meant too until I read the Greek and I did a study and I was like, whoa, this is way deeper than what I thought it was. And so the word here used in the Greek I can't speak Greek. I'm not going to try. Um, but I'll give you the example. Is off, the word is often used to speak of Jesus because he was so counter to what the Jewish people expected that when he showed up, they rejected him. And so what the, the way in which I read this is that we don't want to cause anything that is going to be a stumbling block in somebody's relationship with Christ. Whether it's a non-believer and you're getting drunk at football games, or whether it's a non-believer and that believer sleeping with their girlfriend at night, or whether it's a husband who's not faithfully serving and leading his family, whatever it is, we should not cause stumbling blocks that will in 
inhibit somebody coming to Christ or knowing who Jesus is. And all of us are convicted of that. I think the best example here is alcohol. You know, there is a liberty with the use of alcohol. Drunkenness is clearly a sin. If you drink to the point in which your mind is inhibited in any way, that is breaking the heart of God. That is why Jesus died on the cross. But up until that point, maybe you like your margarita with La Paria. Maybe you like your glass of, I think it's red wine with Italian. Is, that, is it red wine that goes with pasta, I think? Um, maybe alcohol is a totally un-okay thing for your family that you cannot touch. And you're not willing to touch. All of those answers are within the Christian liberty. But if I walk up to somebody who I know has gotten a few DUIs, and I pop the top to a beer, and I say, hey, cheers, mate, and I take down a big swig, what am I doing? I'm causing that brother to stumble, or that sister to stumble. What am I doing if I know somebody is personally convicted to not drink alcohol because of alcoholism that runs throughout their family, and I show up, and I put a six-pack on the truck at small group, and I say, hey, guys, let's pop a top. That's not the most loving thing to do, is it? And so the question lies then, it's not whether you can do something, but whether you should do something. And this is a really hard subject, y'all. It is so difficult to live out, but I want to encourage you, the reason in which we need to practice diversity in the non-essentials and finding unity in the essentials is because Jesus himself said that let the kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And it is possible for the kingdom of God to be unified here on earth. And I would make the statement that the kingdom of God, until it's unified here on earth, we may not see the fulfillment of the Great Commission until that moment. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not Jesus. I'm not God. I don't know when he's showing back up. The next thing that Paul warns us about in Romans chapter 14 is in verse 15. He says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. I had an example here that I thought was hilarious, but it's totally politically incorrect, so my wife told me I couldn't use it. But everybody that I know loves bacon, but there are people who don't like bacon. And so that's as far as I'll go with it. But I want to encourage you here that the, the grieving of one another is to cause sadness in somebody's life or sorrow or to literally bring grief to their life. It would be like me walking up to somebody after they had a miscarriage, holding my 13-month-old baby, kissing her and loving her and telling them how amazing my daughter is. That would break that person's heart, would it not? Or walking up to a single who desperately wants to be married, and telling them, well, maybe God just wants to change something in you. You're just not quite ready. Wow, what a dagger to the heart. But guys, we, we make statements like this all the time to one another. We, I, I swear, I know we make statements like this to one another because Caroline, my wife, was recently pregnant, and everybody and their sisters and cousins and aunts wanted to tell us why they were right and why everybody else was wrong. And it brought a lot of grief and sadness. When you get pregnant and people start the discussion of whether you're going to vaccinate your kids or not vaccinate your kids, whether you're going to use formula, whether you're only going to breastfeed, whether you're, the mom is going to go to work, whether she's going to stay at home, these become ridiculously divisive. 
and I use the word ridiculous on, pur- on, person, on purpose, sorry. It is incredible to me how important people will make whether you're going to give your kids breast milk or formula. And y'all, it should not matter. That should not be the way in which we interact with one another. We should not bring grief or sorrow or sadness to one another's life by the things we do or say. You see, the topic of Christian liberty changes whatever it is parenting, singleness, divorce, whatever it is, but the effect remains the same. We hurt one another, robbing each other of the peace of joy when it is completely and utterly unnecessary for us to do that. And the importance here is not to prove why you're right, but to do the most loving thing for that person. It's not a, it's not a, it, this isn't an argument of why Jeep Wranglers are better than Toyota Tacomas, even though I could prove you that. I'm not going to go there. It's not an argument of whether UGA is better than Georgia Tech. I say that because my dad's a tech grad and he's sitting over there. I'm not going to go there either. But what we should do is the most loving thing for one another. And we don't want to cause one another to stumble, as Paul says in Romans 13. We don't want to bring grief to one another, like Paul says in Romans 15. Because when we do that, it leads to destroying one another. And so when we destroy one another, it is literally that. Destruction. This is the example of continuing to drink alcohol in front of the the alcoholic who has months or years of sobriety. Continuing to take that sip of alcohol. You are literally destroying them with every sip you take. It's going up to somebody who is in an abusive situation with their husband and saying, you just got to sit it out. You don't have grounds for divorce. You can't do anything about it. Just be more loving. If somebody is physically harming you, you should remove yourself from that situation. Now, whether or not they're cheating, the biblical grounds for divorce, that's a different uh, conversation. But I've heard people literally receive counsel from pastors that say you should just stick it out. That destroys somebody. And we should not be a people who destroy one another. In Matthew chapter 12 Jesus does this to the Pharisees. Oh, I lost it. Sorry. I'm like, it's really hot up here, so this thing keeps moving everywhere. Um, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus sends out some disciples to gather food on a Sunday. But what do you think happens? You can respond. It's okay. What do you think happens? Jesus sends the disciples out. This is, you know, right around 30, 31 A.D., Jesus sends the guys out on a well Saturday then to go gather food. What do you think the Pharisees respond with? Are you kidding me? You can't do that. You're working on the Sabbath. You're breaking God's law. Not realizing that they, they themselves are also working. Jesus uses this moment as the perfect moment to teach that he is ultimately Lord over the Sabbath and that they have made it non-essential and essential. The same thing happens, uh, well, almost the same thing happens in John chapter 5. Jesus, think about this setting. There's a disabled man who sits at the arch for 35 years. The whole city would know who he is, wouldn't they? All of Athens would know who that man is. Imagine Jesus shows up 
heals the man, he gets up, and he walks away, and the first thing that Christians say is, what are you doing? You can't get up on a Sunday. They totally missed the miracle. They totally, utterly missed the presence of Christ bringing healing to this man because they were so focused on the non-essential being an essential that they were willing to divide the kingdom of God in that moment. And Jesus then does what he does, and he basically says, hey, you're a whitewashed tomb. That's a different quote from a different place. But I want to give you an example in my own personal life. When I was in college, I worked my way through college by serving at Cracker Barrel. I loved it. It was a great time. There were over 90 employees in the building. At most, at any time in the five years I worked there, there were only four followers of Christ in the building at that moment. Do you know how hard it is to share the gospel with somebody when every single Sunday afternoon and Wednesday night, Christians prove how mean and hateful they are and how bad they tip? Do you know how hard it is to share the gospel when that happens? It is almost impossible. I mean, literally almost impossible. So I want to encourage you with your actions regarding Christian liberties to not cause people to stumble, to not set traps like Wiley Coyote, to not grieve one another so that it leads to the destruction of one another because when we destroy people, we forfeit our witness. That's the fourth thing that Paul points out here in Romans chapter 14 and verses 16 through 21. I will read these out loud real quick. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything and indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. When we go around hurting one another and dividing ourselves and dividing the world, pushing people away from Christ, what we end up doing is losing our witness, which is what the church has been doing for decades here in America. Wow, that was a statement, wasn't it? It's accurate. I can say it because for me, as, an ex as a young person in high school, before I had accepted Christ, there were these people who were Christians. They were super nice. They were super fun to hang out with. And I was like, oh, cool. I want to go hang out with them. But guess what? They hurt one another. They did things that the Bible said clearly they should not be doing. And so they lost their witness with me. I didn't want to accept Christ at that time. Yes, six months later, I accepted Christ at an FCA camp. But the thing is, is that by our actions, we can forfeit our ability to share the gospel with each other. And verse 17 is key here. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, right now, the, there, there's hot-button issues, Right? America seems like we're on the verge of literally splitting in half. The people to the far right are getting even further right. The people to the far left are getting even further left. And there's a lot of confusion in the middle. Sorry, I'm praying 
uh, trying to figure out if I should say this or not, but I feel like God wants me to. Politics, race, social injustice, viruses, flags, the way you vote should always be secondary to who Jesus is as Lord and Savior in your life. Those other issues should not be the identifying traits and issues of our life. We've got to focus on the essential. Yes, is racism a sin? Absolutely. I will call you out if you ever act like a racist here at Living Hope or outside in the public. You can guarantee that. But the Bible gives us a, first, a great example in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-9. through 9. In this moment, the, the church in Corinth had started dividing over which apostle that they were following. Some of you are like, oh, we don't do that. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yes, we do. I can remember when David wanted me to read a, a book by a certain pastor of a large church out in California, and I thought, there's no way I'll ever read this book. That guy's a lunatic, is the first thought that came to my heart. But then the Holy Spirit started speaking. Wow, what pride you have. You should listen to that. You should read that. If I can use you to speak, and I can use you for my purposes, why can't I use that guy? And so I read the book by the, a gentleman named Bill Johnson, and there were great little nuggets of wisdom in that book. The same way goes for the opposite side. People don't want to read John Piper because he's so far on a different spectrum. Well, you should probably do that. In order to be unified in the essentials, we have to understand each other's point of view on the non-essentials. We've got to listen more than we speak. And that is really hard for me because I love talking. I have always loved talking. I can tell you how many times I got in trouble for school for talking. The teachers would move me to the front of the classroom, right in front, and I'm like, you think this is going to stop me? I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> and then they'd move me to the back because they didn't like that. And so, but I want to encourage you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, there's a great example here. And I want to apply it to here locally in Athens, Georgia, because God has had begun a great work of unifying the local churches in Athens years before 2020 ever began. Do you know that we have an event called the Mix that happens every single year in which over 35 churches from seven denominations come together and we're able to focus and unify on the essentials? And I promise you we have a lot of diversity in the non-essentials. I pro you would not believe how long it takes for us to pick a speaker. But if we as a people of God cannot unify over the essentials, if we cannot be a close-knit family that loves one another, why would the world outside ever want to be a part of this family? Why? If we don't have peace amidst ourselves, which genuinely I would submit that you can only find true peace and unity with all people through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You cannot try hard enough to do good enough to work through enough in order to find peace with those who completely disagree you apart from the work of Christ. But we have got to stop making 
unessentials, essentials, because it leads to us losing our witness with the world around us. The last two verses in verses 22 and 23 focus, one is in verse 22, it focuses on those who are strong in the faith. This passage means when it talks about somebody who's strong in the faith, it means that they see that a Christian liberty is just that. It's a liberty for them to do with what they want to do with it. When it talks about those who are weak in the faith, it means somebody who just has personal convictions that limit that liberty. It is not something for the strong to say, oh, I'm strong. I can drink my margarita Mexican and you can't prove me wrong, biblically, why this is wrong. Well, again, you're not focusing on should you do something, you're focusing on can you do something. And so in verse 22, Paul here, he says that if you have liberties, oh, I should read it out loud, sorry. The faith that you have, this is verse 22, Paul says, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. What Paul is saying here is that if you have the liberty to do something, you should do it as long as it does not go out and affect those outside of the relationship between you and God. If you want to drink a margarita, and the only place that you can do that is your house without causing somebody to stumble, then guess what? You should only do it at your house. If you want to smoke a cigar, and the only place that you can do that without causing somebody to stumble, guess what? You should smoke a cigar at your house. If you feel really strongly about what politician you support, you should never put it on Facebook. <laughs> you should talk about it privately amidst people who you will not cause to stumble or that you will not grieve or you will not sadden or hurt or cause division. In. Remember, this entire passage is focused on Christian liberty. It is not focused on sins. The Bible here is not talking about sexual immorality, whether it's hetero or homosexuality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, murder, pride, hatred, or unforgiveness, etc., and etc. This is talking about the gray areas in life, the sports teams you support, the music style you prefer. Some of us love Christian rap. Some people tell me that I can't be a Christian and listen to that. Whether you watch a certain movie whether you watch a certain TV show, I almost included a quote from a TV show that we watch every weekend. And man, it was a quote on what evil is. It was like a, a one-liner. It was so good. But if I mention the name, it may cause some people to stumble to think that, oh, a pastor watches that show. And so I didn't include the quote. You see, that's what we have to do. We have to restrain ourselves to do the most loving thing for someone else. In, in verse 23, Paul writes to those who are weak in the faith, those who have personal convictions that limit their liberty. He says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You may be asking, what does that mean? Because we're not Jewish, we don't have limits on what we can eat. I love bacon and coffee. I love donuts. I love burgers. I love all the unhealthy things, which is why I'm a little overweight. But we should not create stumbling blocks by our own personal extra-biblical convictions. 
Kevin, what do you mean of extra biblical conviction? I'll give you a per- perfect example. My definition of sexual immorality, and again, I work with teenagers who at times are overwhelmed by their emotions and lack of self-control. So my definition of sexual immorality is pretty encompassing. Anything that causes a response, whether it's physical, emotional, or mental, is sexual immorality. And so basing my act off of that from somebody who a long time ago struggled with porn, and by the grace of God, I have not looked at porn in nine and a half years. Praise be to God. But I developed an extra biblical conviction that I will not hug any woman or young woman other than my wife frontal. I won't do it. I promise you, you can ask the teenagers. If they come running up to me, I will literally turn sideways, embrace for the high five. Now, I know some people are huggers, like Miss Judy Child. She loves hugging, so I'll give a side hug. I'm super uncomfortable at most times, but the most loving thing I can do for her is to encourage her with a side hug. But I cannot expect all the men in this room to act and follow my biblical, my extra biblical conviction because that is not loving. And it is regarding a liberty. Now, if you try to argue that you can watch porn, I will gladly take you all over the Bible and prove to you why you can't. If you want to act like you can cheat on your wife or have same-sex attraction feelings, I'll gladly search Scripture with you prayerfully and lovingly to show you the truth that Scripture teaches. But things like hugging, holding hands, maybe even... Another one of my extra-biblical convictions is that I will never drive a one lady by herself or get in a car with just a woman because of the potential stumbling block that it'll cause for other people. I don't want anybody to ever have an excuse to say, oh, maybe Kevin's not faithful to Caroline because I have a covenant between myself, Caroline, and the Eternal Father, and I want to protect that. And so that's an extra biblical conviction. But it would not be fair for me to say, oh, Jeff, you can't go to the staff meeting with Judy in the car. That's wrong. You can't do that. That's that's when we take essentials, I mean non-essentials, and we make them essentials, and we project our personal convictions on other people, and it leads to division within the kingdom of God. It leads to hurting one another and harming one another. And so now that we've covered all of this, I want to look at what Paul says in verse 17. He says, he gives us three three areas of of Christian liberties that we should really focus on. He urges us to take extra caution in preserving the unity in these three areas. The first is righteousness. Does anybody have a good definition who's in the building for righteousness? What's a good definition? Yeah, you're right with him. So uh, being a person who works with teenagers, I expect response. That's how I keep their attention. So it's okay. Take some big swigs of coffee and get energetic. That's why we played holy water. But righteousness is being right with him. And there's a reason why it's the first thing listed. Because you can never find peace, joy, unity, or any of the other fruits of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. If you are not made right with God, you can't find those things. And so the 
the most important thing we have to do is to focus on 2 Corinthians 5.21. Does anybody know that verse by heart? For he, for our sake, he, the Father, made him Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You, this can be really maybe offensive for some of you. You cannot ever, you will not ever, and you should give up all hope of ever adding to your righteousness because you show up to church, because you listen to worship music in the car, or because you do all the Facebook Christian things that you're supposed to do. You are made righteous only by the cross of Christ. Period. None of that other stuff is going to matter when God asks you, have you served my son as Lord and Savior of your life and turned away from your wicked ways? That's the question. If you can say yes, then we can have a conversation on why you haven't been to church in six months. Sorry, told you it might be offensive to some of you. Or maybe why you haven't read your Bible in a year. No wonder your relationship with God feels stale. Sorry, again. I'll stop chasing that rabbit. Things like clothing requirements. That's a perfect one. I almost, if, how many of you have been here during the week and seen what I wear on a day-to-day basis? Jeff, when is the last time you saw me in this? CJ and Megan's wedding. They've been married for eight months. I wear shorts and a t-shirt, and most of the time some form of flip-flop or croc or chaco. I wear tennis shoes on Wednesday because I have to chase the teenagers when we play games. But when we say, oh, you're not wearing the right stuff at church, you're not honoring God, how divisive is that? When we say that, oh, you have an electric instrument on the stage, the devil only uses electrical instruments. Or we say, oh my goodness, you played a song that caused people to dance and they raised their hands? This is blasphemy. Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. Y'all, this is like kind of funny stuff, but it's real. I'm not kidding. We have churches that will not come to the mix because we play hype Christian music for teenagers. Regardless that the gospel is preached, Jesus is magnified, and God is glorified, they will not show up because of the music choice. I'm sorry. What about your Sunday attendance? Oh, you've only shown up twice this month? Let me check my attendance record. That means you're only here 50% of the time. Do you want God to only be on your team 50% of the time? Y'all, I laugh, which, by the way, a faithful attender in America only attends twice a month. We should change that statistic and go the other way. But we, as a people of God, have got to stop focusing on the external things, and we've got to focus on the eternal things of righteousness. We cannot focus on all the secondary stuff more important than we focus on where somebody's heart is. God says it in verse in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. He says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And we, as a people of God, have got to start looking at people's hearts more than we look at their outward appearance. 
Guess what? They can have a tattoo. They can have a sleeve. They could even have massive gauges in their face and still be a follower of Christ. They could have a glass of wine every single night and still be a follower of Christ. They could have never touched alcohol in their life and still be a follower of Christ. But until we stop focusing on the external and we focus on the eternal, again, we're going to go around and we're going to place landmines like Wiley e. Coyote trying to chase the Roadrunner down. Do you know how every episode of the Roadrunner finishes? Who in here, raise your hand if you've ever seen a episode before. Okay, that's most people. Good. So for the young folk on uh, TV, because I know you're not coming to church watching, Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner was a cartoon. And Wiley e. Coyote would set traps trying to capture the Roadrunner. And they would literally implode every single time, or they'd fall apart, and he would only hurt himself. We do the exact same thing when we don't look at someone's heart, and we look at all, at all the stuff on the outside first. We've missed the most important thing. The next thing that Paul mentions is peace, and I'm going to finish in, 12, well, in eight minutes, worship team, just a heads up. We look at peace. This is an internal result of finding righteousness with God. You cannot have true, everlasting peace in your heart and in your soul apart from Christ. The world tries so hard. Oh my goodness, the motivational speakers. You can do it if you just try hard enough. You've got to think positive thoughts. You've got to eat healthy. You've got to go meditate and look at this pretty picture. You will never find peace if you do not Find Christ as your Lord and Savior. You will always be searching for something. You know why? Because you were created by your Creator to serve Christ. That is the place where you find your most joy, your most fulfillment, your most contentment, and eternal peace is by serving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. For we know that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything at all in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does that sound familiar? It should it's from Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. That is why you can find peace, because you know that you are made righteous with God. You know where your soul is going to spend all of eternity, in perfect contentment with the Father. And so you can have peace, regardless of what is going on in the world. Whether it's financial instability, whether it's social unrest, whether it's November every four years in America, or really like July through November every four years in America, whatever it is, you can have peace. In no way am I advocating for Christians not to stand up against injustice. Let me be clear. The Bible is abundantly clear that we as Christians should not stand for injustice. Just want to make that statement so nobody tries to confuse what I'm saying. 
But the people of God have got to become the cornerstone of our societies regarding peace in order to show the world outside what peace looks like, who they need to serve, who they need to follow. They don't need to follow more Instagram accounts that are hip and cool. They need to follow Jesus. They need to spend more time reading the Bible than you do liking things on Instagram. You need to get off Facebook. You need to spend time investing in your kids, parents. You need to spend time loving your wife's dads. Your hair and makeup don't matter as much as your kids' joy, moms. I should probably calm down. I heard it come on. <laughs> I'll, get myself in, I'll get myself in trouble here. Before I share what I'm about to share, I'm going to read this word for word how I wrote it. Because I, I spent a lot of time praying over the next few paragraphs I'm going to read. But I want you to listen carefully. Every soul is inherently of infinite value because Christ has died for all, not just for certain people. Any action that seeks to elevate one person over another is evil. Without love in your life, you are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Peace in unity with all people is only attainable through the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The tomb is still empty. It will always be empty and he will return one day. And we, as a people of God, are called to be the lights in the darkness and the primary source for which the gospel is spread to the world around us. But be of good cheer. We have a lot of work to do, but we know how it ends with God being glorified in every knee bowing. But I want to take the moment to caution us as a people of God to not fall into the temptation for any label other than Christian or follower of Jesus. I don't even like using the word Christian anymore because our society is totally confused what it means to be a Christian. People think posting on Instagram is being a Christian, but not spending any time with God. False. Jesus says to people like that, turn for I never knew you. You don't want to hear that. You want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's what you want to hear. You need to actually spend time with God. You actually need to look like Christ in your life. But I, too, feel the pressure right now to allow my political persuasion, my socioeconomic status, my geographic location, and even my skin color to become my identifying trait. The world is telling you to pick a side in all the craziness that's going on. And you need to put, you absolutely, as a follower of Christ, you need to pick Christ. Not somebody's personal agenda. You need to do exactly what Christ would have done. Don't lose your peace when the world needs to see it now more than it ever has in the 28 years that I've been alive. Live as Christ instructed us in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, where he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And a second like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, the commands depend all 
the law, and the prophets. Here's Kevin's version. If you don't love God and love people, you're not following Christ. If you do love God and you do love people, you will be following Christ. You have to have the Holy Spirit living inside you and dwelling within you. And you need to not ignore your conscience when you get a check in your spirit. And you need to be a man or a woman of Scripture so that you may learn to discern through what is worldly and that which is eternal. You've got to seek the wisdom of God to know how to keep peace in your heart when the world continues to fight amidst itself so that we may follow Psalm 34, verse 14, where it says, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There is a point of action that comes to peace. It's not just sitting in a VW van smoking doobies with peace signs. That's not what the peace I'm talking about. I'm talking about peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ, living and dwelling with one another, looking to your neighbors to see what do I need to do to show them Christ, to lead them to Christ. The last thing that Paul wants to say in the band, I'm going to finish up in a few moments, I promise. I'll get you out of here by 1030. The last thing that Paul mentions in verse 17 is that it is joy. Joy is an eternal fruit that comes from having peace in your soul, that that comes from being righteous with God. You cannot have joy without being made right with God. You cannot have joy without having peace in your heart. You've got to have righteousness with Christ, and well, righteousness through Christ with God, and then you've got to have peace in your soul, and then you can have joy in your life. Joy and happiness are two totally different things. And I think our world has totally confused them. The world promises you lots and lots of happiness. Guess what? Every time I drink a Mountain Dew, I don't get blissfully happy. The ads tell me I'm supposed to, and I sure do like the flavor. I sure like Dr. Pepper and those 23 flavors of awesomeness. But guess what? That brings me only temporary happiness, temporary satisfaction. Everlasting joy comes from Christ. You see, the difference is that happiness is an emotion based on circumstances. Happiness is fleeting. It's like the wind. It comes and goes as it pleases. Joy is an outward state of unshakable contentment resulting from your relationship with God. Joy is eternal bliss because you know whose you are, you know what matters, and you know where you're going to spend all of eternity. And you find the contentment in those things. And doesn't the world need our joy more than ever right now? 16 plus weeks of social distancing. For introverts, that's great. For extroverts like myself, slight version of hell. Racial tensions escalating all over the U.S. Social injustice being highlighted daily. Unrest over what the future looks like. It's hard to make plans, isn't it? Because you don't know what's going to happen. The world needs Christians to get off of social media, to get off the couch, and to begin sharing their joy in the message of Christ with everyone within their sphere of influence. We are well past the time for idle Christians. If you want to be an idle Christian, get off the team, take the jersey off. 
sorry, Jesus would say something similar. It's time to dust off your armor, put on the armor of God, get out in the world, and start sharing the gospel and loving your neighbors. If you see racism happening, you should stop it. If you see sexual abuse happening, you should stop it. Do you know that Atlanta, which is less than 60 miles from here, is the largest and number one place in the world for sex trafficking? Are you kidding me? It's in the United States in 2020. What are we doing as Christians? Why have we sat idle for decades after decades, allowing the world to become more divided without showing the world the peace that it needs in Christ? I know I just got all up in your grill. That's why I'm standing up here in the front rows empty, so when I get excited and spit, nobody gets hit with that holy uh, grossness. But as the band comes, I want to encourage you that, again, we have to have unity in the essentials. And it is in order for the kingdom of God to come here on earth as it is in heaven, it is absolutely a requirement to have diversity in the non-essentials. It is. You put 10 Christians in a room, you'll have 10 different opinions about a lot of different things. But you ought to have the exact same opinion about who Jesus is, what the cross is, and why he died on that cross, and how you can have a relationship with God. And I want to encourage you that I'm not advocating at all for, I don't know what to call them, I don't know what to call it, but the Christians who put on their banners and run around screaming at the world telling it why it's so wrong. You know, Jesus would catch people in their sin and he'd say, turn for, you should not do this. He would offer them salvation. We should do the same thing. People should know that you are different without ever having to tell them that you are. You should not have to tell somebody that you follow Christ for them to know that there is something different in you. I'm going to pray real quick, and then I think the band's going to take over, right? Great. Well, Father God, Lord, all of this is totally unattainable unless we submit to your lordship over our life. It is totally unattainable unless the Holy Spirit does a great work in each and every one of our lives. So, Father, we're asking for just that. Would you radically transform our lives so that we may shine the light of the gospel to a lost world? May you lead many to Christ for your glory alone. And may we put aside our selfishness and pride and start truly serving each other to the furthest degree. And it is all in the powerful name of Christ, I pray. Amen. I just want to invite y'all to respond as you